At Baptist Health South Florida, it's our mission to care for you when you're injured or sick and help you stay healthy and fit. Welcome to the Baptist Health Talk podcast, where our respected experts bring you timely, practical health and wellness information to improve your family's quality of life. Welcome Baptist Health Talk podcast listeners. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Fialco. I'm a preventative cardiologist and lipidologist at Miami Cardiac and Vascular Institute, where I'm also Chief of Cardiology at Baptist Hospital and the Chief Population Health Officer at Baptist Health. A career in healthcare is physically, mentally, and emotionally demanding. Even in the best of times, healthcare providers can experience symptoms of burnout. For more than a year now, our frontline medical personnel have been battling an unprecedented pandemic, working under challenging conditions, and it has taken an enormous toll on them. The question is, how can we take care of the very people we rely on to take care of us when we need them? The timely topic of clinician well-being was the focus of the latest episode of Baptist Health's Resource Live program. My guests were Dr. Ana Viamonte-Ross, Chief Well-Being Officer at Baptist Health, Dr. Yvonne Johnson, Chief Medical Officer at South Miami Hospital, and Dunia Acosta, a registered nurse in the intensive care unit at Doctors Hospital. Let's listen in. So let me start with you, Yvonne, um, in, in that vein. Um, you know, the COVID-19 pandemics added layers of stress to clinical strain. We knew prior to COVID-19, the stress of being in the front line of healthcare to nurses and doctors and clinical staff was high. In your experience, how heightened are these stress levels amongst the frontline healthcare workers now? Jonathan, I just have to tell you that this is the highest level of stress that I have seen among our frontline workers. They, and that's primarily because we're dealing with the highest uh, census, the highest level of, of COVID patients that we've had through the pan pandemic. We have been dealing with this for now going on 18 months. And we had a little bit of a surge in April of 2020. We saw a pretty big surge in July and August of 2020. We saw a very long surge in November, December, January. And then we all got the vaccine. And you know, you remember that the healthcare workers were among the first to get the vaccine. And we, we really sensed this feeling of relief and gratitude that we had a vaccine and we saw this light that we thought was the end of the tunnel. And so it's been a little bit dispiriting to find that, you know, that light was that proverbial train coming at us when in January, in July of this year, we had this mountain of patients um, who have been, um, you know, a, a source of stress for, for the, the, the frontline workers. It really is the largest number of patients that we've taken care of throughout the pandemic in the hospital. And, and I know you and I have spoken, as have others, regarding the, the lack of the real understanding of the public, of the burden it takes. Um, through the normal course of a hospital day, the doctors and the nurses have a general balance of really sick people, which we're used to taking care of, and people recuperating. These are sicker patients, right? These are not just the people with the colds that are admitting. You know, we're really only admitting people with really significant medical problems, and that, that, that's a burden as well, isn't it? The acuity of the patients that you're taking care of? Yeah, I think that the overwhelming number of very sick people and also the number of people who don't recover and even young people who don't recover, you know, we're now starting to see people die. And, and I think the fact that we understand that these are unnecessary deaths and unnecessary illnesses add to that stress because we know that this was, was preventable disease. 
Um, Anna, um, you've been tasked with making you know, mental health wellness and overall well-being a priority across Baptist Health South Florida, a daunting task and certainly one that's well needed. What can you tell us about the signs of burnout that our frontline workers are exhibiting? We use the term burnout a lot. You know, get into that a little bit and what are, what are we seeing? A lot, of, a lot of issues, but specifically some of the uh, signs, let's say, of burnout uh, that we all should be aware of and, and, and you know, cognizant of uh, tardiness, uh, calling out on shifts, absenteeism, and their retention issues that I'm sure you all are seeing in your hospitals, uh, not necessarily picking up shifts uh, to cover for a, a colleague, something that would normally have occurred otherwise. Irritability, and Jonathan, you and I have spoken about this, towards each other and even towards patients. Again, the frustration that these patients really uh, do not necessarily have to be there if they would have done uh, what, what is recommended to be done. Uh, we, withdrawing actually from our regular support systems uh, is something we, we need to be uh, aware of. Obviously this all uh, then, might uh, translate into patient safety issues and patient the quality of care that we're providing. If these uh, if these issues of burnout are are not caught early and and addressed, you might see a change in appearance of some of your colleagues and something that might cause you to to be aware that maybe something is happening. Unintentional weight loss or even weight gain. Uh, a lot of sleep disturbances we're seeing amongst our colleagues. Uh, increase in the use of tobacco and alcohol, forgetfulness, memory issues, difficulty concentrating. It just goes on and on. And we just need to be aware. We need to be sensitive. We need to be compassionate and, and empathetic, like we were talking about before you left now, uh, Jonathan, on your trip towards each other and towards the patients that we're caring for. Dunia, let's, let's bring your experiences into the conversation a little bit. Um, and again, we, we, we don't think sometimes that healthcare workers are not immune to an impact of COVID-19, um, whether it be for their own sick family members, deaths around them, and even getting the virus themselves or maybe fear of, of transmitting it to family members and kids. Um, you've been in the thick of this pandemic as a nurse in an intensive care unit. Tell us about your experience with one of your patients that changed your perspective and led you to getting the vaccine. Well, just like some of the population, um, I had my reservations about the vaccine. Um, I, at the beginning, I thought, you know, this only attacks the older population. Population has diabetes, cardiac, pulmonary issues. Um, I absolutely advocated for that population to get vaccinated. But as for myself, I chose to wait it out. Um, until recently, we started about two months ago, a month ago, we started seeing a, a new surge of patients coming into the ICU. These patients were in their 30s to 50s, um, no past medical history, healthy as can be, had little kids. Um, they were coming in unvaccinated. They were coming in very sick. They were dying and they were dying fast. They were dying faster than the initial population that we had last year. Um, uh, added to that, I had a patient that came into the ICU. She was 33 years old. She's a cop, healthy. Um, her family was completely vaccinated. She was not. Her complete family got COVID, um, as did she. Her family got over it. Um, she ended up in the ICU requiring 100% oxygen support, almost got intubated. Um, she was having trouble breathing. She could hardly talk. She... She was, she was ashamed. She's like, you know, she was ashamed that she hadn't gotten vaccinated. Um, 
I told her, listen, I'm not vaccinated. And she's like, she was surprised. She was appalled. She's like, um, please promise me you're going to get vaccinated. You don't want to end up like this. Trust me. You don't want to end up like this. I regret it so much is what she said. Um, so two weeks ago, I went and I got my vaccine. Uh, thanks to her. I was still keep in touch. She was the first one I sent a picture of my COVID vaccination to, and, you know, and we are, we're still friends. Um, thank you for sharing that, that really um, moving and emotional story. And, and honestly, you know, we, with the expertise of science and healthcare, and we certainly are confident about the technology of the vaccine, the science behind it, its safety, the way to get us through the pandemic, um, the ability to change your mind is difficult. And, um, uh, again, welcome that experience, and I'm sure you are now a ambassador to others to help other people who might be a little hesitant or resistant to move forward and become vaccinated to um, for the public good. So, yeah. so again, thank you for that, um, Yvonne. Back to the the clinical part, and this is again the frontline team, nurses and and physicians. Um, you know, um, well represented here with, with Dunia. Um, Anna talked about the cons the the, the uh, manifestations of burnout. What, what are you seeing personally in those areas regarding um, stress? Bring it to a real personal level regarding any kind of signs of, of, of burnout that you're seeing. I definitely see a lot of fatigue. Uh, I think people are just very tired and they, yet their services are still desperately needed. And so there's really not been an opportunity over the last few months of this surge to really rest and do what we know works for uh, this, for treating burnout and stress. So I think that's been the biggest part. And some of the things that Anna mentioned where people are less tolerant of uh, each other and less tolerant of, of anything that they're being asked to do, you know, above and beyond. And yet, even with that, I do see people going above and beyond because that's what's being demanded of them. And they're answering that call. So I'm really impressed and very proud of our um, medical staff and our nursing staff and all of the ancillary staff that are taking care of, of these patients. But you can really see that there's a level of fatigue. And I think one of the other things is um, they're missing that communication piece. You know, families are not here in the hospital because of COVID. And particularly the families of the patients who have COVID are not there. And so that piece that, you know, even what Dunia talked about having that connection with the patient, we're used to also having that connection with family and knowing who these people are in relation to other people. And they're missing that connection as well. So a lot of that human interaction that we're used to you know, those patients in the ICU, many of them are intubated. They're not talking back to their clinicians. And the clinicians are having such a hard time managing, communicating with families. And then families are getting very frustrated because they're not getting that information. But we're so overwhelmed with care, with, with caring for the patients, that they're not able to do some of those things that, you know, actually make our job wonderful is being able to talk to families and communicate and, you know, be all part of that. So, you know, there's just so much that's missing in how, in, in the positive side of practicing medicine, because we're just so overwhelmed with the amount of, of patient care that's being required right now. 
and, and as you say, these are, you know, being in healthcare is, is stressful to begin with. And there's a lot of aspects of, of burnout, as, as, as Anna mentioned. And there are things unique to the pandemic, the, the inability to communicate with family members, patients in the hospital not being able to communicate. It's just an added level of unique aspects to, to drive that, to make it even worse that we're going through again. So, so again, well, well, well said. Um, Anna, Chief Wellbeing Officer. I mean, uh, a remarkable role. You and I have been for years, you know, <laughs> pushing for these types of, you know, um, um, awareness and then resources. Um, to, to mitigate these circumstances. And, you know, healthcare systems across the country are striving to prioritize the well-being of their, war, their frontline workers. So speak a little bit what in particular Baptist Health South Florida is doing, um, you know, to minimize the stressors and, and recognize the sources of uh, the signs of distress in its, its healthcare workers. Absolutely. Well, one of the first things we're doing is bringing in relief staff. Uh, exactly to try to support exactly what Dunia is saying and Yvonne, uh, these individuals that are exhausted, they're physically and emotionally exhausted. So bringing in relief staff to help those teams. Honoring time off uh, when somebody says, you know, I really, really need to step back. I need to do that to, to be able to respect that and give them that, that opportunity. Uh, we continuously look for opportunities to remind staff of what they need to take care of themselves. Uh, some of the things that we've done, make sure for sure that safety is, is preeminent, that we have the, the, the equipment, the, the, the gowns, the masks, et cetera, that's necessary to make sure that our staff feels that they're safe uh, is very important and we've done that. Uh, we created something called the Be Well newsletter where we uh, curate on a weekly basis the internal as well as external resources in our community for individuals. Uh, we have opportunities like today. We've had uh, ongoing webinars, lecture series, uh, this conversation that we're having today also uh, that's available for, for everyone to look at. Uh, we are, um, we've, Yvonne and I have uh, actually participated in testimonials of uh, leaders within our system to show again and to uh, go against a culture of silence, which many institutions have, and to make sure that we destigmatize and we normalize uh, asking for help and how important that is and that we all are vulnerable and that we all need to be able to feel comfortable doing it. The other thing that we did just uh, recently is stood up in every single one of our hospital crit critical incident uh, response teams uh, comprised of um, mental health counselor with our pastoral care colleagues and all of our CEOs, CMOs and CNOs in our hospital systems are aware that these individuals are gonna go in a pre pro preemptive uh, manner to our uh, different units, but also if there's anything that's identified or uh, you know something that happens untowards that we can, I, we can go in and try to uh, debrief the group, the individuals, and help them uh, deal with whatever issues that they have, which as we've talked about, they're much younger patients, uh, they're much sicker, and a lot of times, uh, you know, it didn't have to happen, and we have to deal with that sentiment, I think, amongst our healthcare staff. I mean, and, and this really is um, um, well-received um, and making an impact, um, but this wasn't just you in a back room or you and me talking about it. This was supported by the top of the health system. This was an imperative put forth by health system leaders, right? Absolutely, the corporate leadership was essential for this all to happen. One more thing I wanted just to add, we stood up a 24 seven hotline that's not just for our physicians or our uh, nurses, it's for everyone. 
to the staff that can contact someone if you truly are struggling in any way and they can certainly help you and identify what type of resource and help a continued support that you need, whether it's in-house or in the community and help you identify that. But you're absolutely right, Jonathan. If we didn't have that corporate support, this would not have happened. Dunia, you've been, you've been living through this pandemic you know, at the front line. Um, how has your job changed over the last year and a half through, through the pandemic? Um, do you feel that your, your passion and love of what you do, um, providing that incredible you know, impact in people's lives for the better, do you, do you feel that's changed at all? I still love what I do. Um, if I could go back and change my profession, knowing what I know now, going through what I've gone through now, I, I would still choose it again, no doubt. Um, nonetheless, this last year has been very taxing physically, emotionally. Um, no amount of classroom knowledge or devotion to your job prepares you for what this, what the magnitude of this pandemic has brought. Um, I, I, I heard Anna speaking about how, you know, how she's bringing support to the bedside and that is wonderful. We need that, especially now that we're getting the surge all over again. Every sick patient needs a nurse. Sometimes there is no nurse available, so you stay and you stay extra um, until we find a nurse. Sometimes that means um, staying more than your 12 hour shift or coming into work on your day off to take a patient assignment or uh, taking an increase in a patient workload um, just to make sure that every patient is cared for. So, you know, that takes a toll on you. And, you know, that's that's been a change from, you know, the 13 years of nursing that, you know, that I've experienced. This is, this is more taxing. This is harder. Um, taking that into account, taking all that into account, the stressors of being exposed to COVID, um, thinking that you might get COVID or exposing your family to it um the physical demands that we put on our bodies working 12 to 16 hour uh, shifts taking less days off so we could come into work and help out our co-workers um and our managers um it the compassion fatigue that we have um that's felt by myself or my co-workers because of the high um stressors that we're going through um spending time these 12-hour shifts in, in PPE is exhausting. Um, the lack of physical connection to our coworkers, to our families, because we're spending so much time at work. Uh, and when we do get a day off, all we do is rest. We sleep and we sleep. Um, so all those things have, have changed in this last year. Uh, uh, they've made it difficult uh, to, uh, to cope. Uh, but we manage. And like I said, Anna, thank you so much for all your efforts. Thank you so you know, we hear you. Thank you so much for your kind words and for bringing help to the bedside. We really appreciate it. Um, again, your passion and your dedication clearly come through. These are the, the lost stories through this pandemic. And when we talk about uh, not getting vaccinated, not recognizing the impact of healthcare workers as you and others are expressing, um, would you feel that the majority of your coworkers feel the same way, um, both in terms of their continued dedication, doing what you got to do, even if it's not well recognized by society. Um, um, do you feel that's the culture that you're surrounded with within Baptist Health? Yes, absolutely. Um, we're a team, we're a unit, we work together. Uh, we win together, we lose together. Um, we support each other. Uh, so 
yes, there is unity in, in how we feel. Um, I feel also there's a lot of maybe like denial, like we're okay, we're okay. Um, uh, this is, we're fine, this is fine. But in reality, it, it, it's emotionally and physically exhausting. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it creeps up slowly, so you don't have yeah. a breakthrough moment and you sit back. So, yeah. again, thank you. Um, Yvonne, I'm going to ask you maybe an unfair question, but I've known you long enough that I'm going to ask it anyway. <laughs> How, I mean, as a CMO of a large hospital, incredible responsibilities to physicians, staff, nursing, how, how do you protect yourself from burnout and the trauma of the pandemic? What, what do you find your means of, of, of keeping yourself um, mentally healthy are? Well, you know, I always say that this has been the um, professional challenge of a lifetime. I, I listened to Dunya and I could hear what she is saying. And even from an administrative level, I feel the same way. Uh, and But I feel incredibly supported by my staff here, my medical staff, by the rest of the admi administrative leaders, uh, and just to see the camaraderie of people coming together to face a challenge really is inspirational. We've also been inspired by our community. I mean, there was lots of times where we had parades of our community folks coming. We had Girl Scouts bringing cookies. We've had the firefighters and police bringing donuts. And you know, we, we really did um, feel very supported by the community as well. And then I have my family. And that has really been, you know, my greatest support and retreat is just to be able to go home and to, to have peace at home and to have that support has um, been, you know, incredible for me to know that, you know, I go home to, to a haven. Uh, um, Anna, uh, again, you and I have the, discussed and others as well, the idea of clinician burnout prior to pandemic. Do you think the pandemic accelerated a little bit of our ability to start recognizing and providing resources um, um, for you know clinician well-being. Absolutely, and Jonathan, you and I, like you just mentioned, were very concerned about this way before the pandemic. Uh, it was something that we needed to address before the pandemic, but certainly now, and certainly something way after the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, hopefully subsides and we're on the other side of this. Uh, we need to make sure that our corporate leadership understands that we have to commit to building uh, supportive environments for our clinicians. Uh, we need to, you and I have talked a lot about uh, lessening the administrative burden with our electronic medical records, our documentation. Uh, again, we have to make sure that we listen to our clinicians. We listen to the mental health needs. We again, uh, fight against this culture of silence, destigmatize and, uh, and normalize the issue of asking for help. So we're in a place where we want to help our clinicians and ultimately help them help our patients. And everybody really go through this together in a both physical and mentally healthy way. And, uh, and it will, it'll happen. I'm sure it will. I, I am sure too. And it again, starts with recognition, knowledge, passion, um, um, with uh, again, leaders such as yourself. So again, we, we thank you for uh, your commitment. Um, Dunia, last, last question to you, and it's going to be two questions, and then we will to give some final comments. Um, what do you wish you knew at the beginning of the pandemic um, when it comes towards clinician burnout, you know, um, mental state of, of you and your coworkers? Um, what do you wish now that you would have known then and could have helped you? And the second question is, 
Any messaging to loved ones or, or, or viewers to how to support nurses, doctors, other clinical staff at the front line that you'd like to, um, you'd like to express? Um, I wish I known the emotional toll the pandemic would have, uh, the pandemic caused on my life, the life of healthcare workers around the world. Um, I wish I would have known how effective and safe the vaccines are. I would have advocated for them sooner, not just for the older population, but for everyone. Um, I think that would have lessened uh, the demand we're currently seeing on the hospitals and our staff. Um, as far as what uh, family and friends can do for us, um, just check up on us. You know, check up, check up on us regularly. Make sure, just like take a look. Are we angry? Are we emotional? Um, do we feel withdrawn? Uh, provide a calm environment for us. Uh, Distractions help a lot. Distractions that take us away from fo the focus we have on work. Um, social support, helping us connect with others is also helpful. Um, maybe helping us with chores at home, especially if we're working uh, late hours or extra shifts. Uh, all those things help. Just connection, connecting with others helps a lot. It's uh, going to be hard to add to that, but as we wrap up, um, Yvonne, any final comments or any points you want to emphasize um, um, before, we, before we wrap up? Well, I, I'm just so pleased to hear Dunya talk about um, getting vaccinated and, you know, that calculus that she made. And it's the same calculus that a lot of young people made. And, and you know, I'm not judging anybody. You know, in fact, I told people, you know, a long time ago, months ago, when, you know, I understood why young people were making kind of that decision based on the information that they had that, mm, you know, maybe I'm going to take my chances, but they need to understand that the game has changed, that the Delta variant has caused that calculus to change. And just like you don't keep your money in the same stock, no matter what, you know, you, you, you change that when the, when the information and situation changes, you know, you need to change that decision in terms of the calculus, the, the, the game has changed and we're all at risk. And we're not only all at risk of COVID, but when we have these kinds of surges, we're at risk of everything else. One of the most stressful conversations that I had in the last week was to tell a young woman who's suffering from cancer that we couldn't do her surgery because her doctor thought she was gonna need an ICU bed post-op. And I didn't have an ICU bed for her because we were filled up with patients with COVID, most of whom didn't have to get COVID and be that sick. So, you know, make sure that you understand that your decision is not just affecting your life. It's affecting the lives of the people in your community. And I think we are a community that looks out for each other. As always, we'd love it if you take a moment to give this podcast a five-star rating on whichever platform you listen to us on. And send us your comments and suggestions for future topics at Baptist Health Talk at BaptistHealth.net. That's Baptist Health Talk at BaptistHealth.net. Thanks for listening and stay safe and say yes to the COVID-19 vaccine. Find additional valuable health and wellness information on our resource blog at BaptistHealth.net slash news. And be sure to interact with us on our social media channels for live and upcoming events. This podcast is brought to you by Baptist Health South Florida, healthcare that cares.